Welcome to Tailboard Talk, a fourth shift fitcast. The mission of Tailboard Talk and the fourth shift fitness is to educate and train fire service personnel to increase durability and decrease the potential for injuries and their associated costs. My name is Chris Morella, owner and founder of Fourth Shift Fitness. I'll use my experience as a personal trainer, strength coach, and 15-year veteran of the fire service to deliver tips, tricks, lessons, and information specifically geared towards the health and wellness of firefighters and paramedics. Each episode, you'll leave with immediate deliverables that will improve performance and resilience and keep you in the fight through your career and into retirement. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up guys? Chris here, and it is good to be back on the mic. We got the new baby home. She's been home for about two weeks now, little Sawyer Marie Morella, uh, and Nathan, poor Nathan, has been adjusting for better or for worse ever since, but I'm not here for the whole episode. I'm just doing the intro and a little bit at the end. Uh, who you're going to hear from today is Nate Palin and Hunter Schur. Now, originally, it was just Nate. I asked Nate to do it. Uh, he gave me a general overview of what his topic was going to be. I said, sounds awesome. And then when I asked for him to send over a picture to promote his episode, he sent me a picture of him and Hunter sitting at desks with microphones. And I knew at that point that I may have made an enormous mistake. However, they recorded a fantastic episode and it hits very, very near and dear to my heart because they're talking about imposters. They're talking about one of the major reasons that Force Shift was created. Uh, and that's because we had numerous people come into my fire department from chiropractors to physical therapists to nutritionists, all different fields in health and wellness. And they wanted to give us their spiel and how they can help us and how we should adjust our lifestyles to be more healthy. And within about the first 10 minutes, every single one of them lost credibility one way or the other. They either asked us what time we were going home at night or asked us uh, how much money we get as an allowance each day for our meals. And just immediately you knew that they had no idea the type of environment they were in, who they were talking to, what the demands of our job was. And so then automatically we, we just assumed that whatever they're going to say isn't going to translate. And so that drove me. That's one of the major driving forces that created Fourth Shift Fitness is I wanted to use my experience in the fire service and my coaching background, combine those two and then help out our own with knowledge and training sessions and coaching that's actually applicable. The stuff that they go through seems like the kind of things you'd be like, oh, obviously, duh, right? That's what you should, should or shouldn't be doing. But when you hear it and they outline it and they go back and forth on it, uh, it really brings it to life. All right, it's time to turn it over. Here is Nate and Hunter. Talk to you guys at the end of the episode. Hey, Nate Palin here. I am taking over Fourth Shift Fitness. That said, that is a ginormous feat. And so I decided to not go it alone. I am here with the imposter himself, Hunter Schur. Hello, and thank you for having me. I don't know what makes me an imposter, but I will take it. Sure. You, uh, you know, we'll take it and we'll run with it. What makes you an imposter is that you stepped foot into an arena you knew nothing about. And you have excelled over the last 10 or so years, my friend. I know you might not put it that way, but I think most of us in the business would. And so I'd love to talk about that a little bit because we have a mutual friend, Annette Zapp. Yep. And I love Annette with all the emptiness in my heart. But I think worth mentioning is that Annette does have a strong bias toward 
firefighters coaching firefighters. Okay. And I absolutely respect that. Obviously I'm a veteran that coaches in the veteran space or, uh, you know, former special operations guru who then coached in the special operations space. But that said, I think a lot of the people doing the best job now are people who did not grow up in that space. And I don't think that it is unique to special operations. I think that it absolutely extends beyond that and into the fire service and into law enforcement. Cause I think it's less about where you came from and a lot more about how willing you are to step into a new world and understand where they're coming from. What are your immediate thoughts on that? I mean, I would agree to, I mean, if you look at coaching in general, if you look at strength and conditioning in general, then yes, it helps to have a background in all of that. But at the end of the day, training physical capabilities is still training physical capabilities. If you try to step outside of that, if I were to ever get specialized, whether it's the military fire, whatever it is, I'm not going to try to tell somebody how to do their job. I'm not going to try to get so specific in an expression that I know you've used before, as far as make the, you know, the weight room, the battlefield, so to speak. Yep. yep. That's not my job. Your job as a coach and depending on your, your unit or wherever you're at is to increase the phys- physical capabilities of those athletes that you are working with. So yes, it absolutely helps if you come from that community. But in that same breath, just because you've been in that community does not make you an expert on how to necessarily train them. And something we talked about earlier, in fact, you brought this up, was that as we spend more time in the space, we realize it's less about the goal and what we're trying to get people working toward. And it's more about the the actual person you're working with, right? Like the clay you're about to help mold and what's in front of you. And so I think that that in any arena, you do your work to assess that person, figure out where they are, where they're coming from. And then that's what you're working with to start pushing toward a goal. But quite frankly, like you don't necessarily have to have lived and breathed that space to do that. No, I mean, you've got to meet people where where they're at. First and foremost, you can have goals and you can work backwards, you know, as we've talked about, but none of that matters if you can't, you know, get specific to meeting that person where they're at, developing the capabilities that they currently have towards whether it's, you know, whatever selection process that may be, whatever testing process that, that might be coming their way. They have to be able to pass those tests, but you have to see where they're at compared to try to just work backwards because everybody's an individual and person first and foremost. And when you're coming from the outside in, I think you tend to come with less assumptions and more willingness to learn because you're immediately a little bit humbled and a little less comfortable and you want to work to gain knowledge and get comfortable in that space and find a way to kind of culturally infiltrate whoever it is you're working with. And, And as disappointing as it kind of is to say, I've actually seen a few instances, for example, on the military side of the house where a veteran who is also a coach steps back into that space and you think it would be ideal, but they come with a lot of assumptions based on their previous experience. And quite frankly, stuff changes rapidly in these worlds. And so by doing that, they could absolutely overlook the way the culture has changed, the way the job has changed, and the way the personnel have changed, because that all evolves over time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you can look at any sport. And a lot of the time, if you've participated in that sport, and you, especially if you had success in it, 
or if you had success in train-ups or preparing for a test in the tactical world, you're going to come in with biases. You're going to be like, this is what I did. I obviously passed the test. Obviously, I know what I'm doing. And so you're going to train how I test. Well, the issue with that is a lot of the times, or especially what we'll see on the military side, is you have people that pass selections, that pass tests, despite the training that they were doing. Yes. So not that their training worked, it was that they were able to achieve it despite training being poor. And that can easily carry over into, you know, discussing the firefighter world in regards to you're preparing to, you know, pass the test to make sure that you can get into, you know, the, the house that you need to or get certified. And because of that, that person creating that test could end up just kind of doing what they did. And that doesn't mean that it's right, doesn't mean that it's wrong, but that person's already going to have a preconceived notion as far as what that takes compared to somebody that may be becoming from the outside that has done their research that's a little more of possibly a subject matter expert, even yep. though they don't have a history or skin in the game. They're going to be able to look at it from a non-biased opinion. Here are actually the physical characteristics needed and be able to develop a program based off of that compared to experience. Not that experience isn't needed. Yeah, they're looking through a more objective lens. There's definitely a bit of survivor bias, right? So if you survived whatever training you did, that just might show that you're already in a place where you could survive the actual testing or whatever it might be, or the, the pipeline that led to to your ultimate goal. Um, doesn't yep. necessarily mean the training's good. And so we see that a lot where people train others like they would train themselves because they can't objectively view the landscape. And that's where a coach coming from the outside, so long as by the same token, they don't bring those biases with them. You, you can't step into the fire setting like it's collegiate strength and conditioning. No. Just like you can't step into training a tennis player as if it's the football team. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you have to treat each athlete as their own, what their goals are, but at the same spot, like we talked about earlier, meet them where they're at to make sure that you develop them appropriately compared to trying to just take that square peg and put it in a round hole, because that's what you think, you know, that athlete should look like. You know, and so that said, um, we're not just here rambling about it. We actually have uh, recently, I was able to give a presentation uh, about this more specific to military, but honestly, the transferability of it, I think is phenomenal. So I think for this episode, we're kind of talking to anyone who's looking to step from whatever coaching world you're in, into coaching in the tactical setting, whether that's uh, firefighters, whether that is law enforcement or military, I think these concepts are transferable. And the other part worth mentioning is that a lot of these I developed with advice from Hunter, which is why he's on to help talk about them. So I'll kind of, I'll, I'll speak it, Hunter. And then if you want to kind of swing in with a little bit of, uh, you know, some, some extra seasoning, that'd be awesome. So one, uh, do your reconnaissance, right? And the, the subtitle I have here is to smell what you're about to step in. <laughs> so what are your thoughts there? What kind of reconnaissance, you know, did you do as you started to, to coach operators? So the biggest thing, I was in the collegiate setting prior to and then coming into the special operations unit and specifically special forces, aka the Green Berets, you need to understand what does winning look like? What is their mission set? What are the tasks? What are their jobs? What are the things that they're going to be asked to do? And then you can start to break things down as far as the physical side. But in addition to that, you need to understand, especially as you're coming in from the outside, the cultural aspect of it. Yes, you have to understand that still 
you know, even like Annette talked about how it, it, you need to be able to be a firefighter to train firefighters, whatever it may be, you still need to understand that you're an outsider. So as far as being labeled an imposter, you are absolutely. And so to be able to create buy-in, you need to develop a knowledge base to show that you've at least put in as much time and effort to understand who these athletes, who these people are that you are trying to work with. Because at the end of the day, you're not talking about X's and O's and winning the game to a lot of the extent you are talking about their careers, their livelihoods, and a lot of situation, their lives. And if you expect that they're just going to hand things over because you've got, as the expression of alphabet soup behind your name, you're going to fail. And you've got to make sure that you have done as much as you can to learn about who's your population, why are they doing their, you know, what they need to be doing in the first place, and then how can you then, as their strength and conditioning coach or whatever, you know, you know, performance, you know, job that you've got, you know, fit into their mission set or career goals. So speaking of the alphabet soup, did you show up at the unit then and talk about your championship throwing experiences and where you got your master's degree and what level of weightlifting certification you had, or, uh, you know, did you strip off your flair? I led with all of those things. No, <laughs> of course you did. No, absolutely not. I mean, you can, <laughs> yeah, I walked around with business cards and handed all that out and said, give me all your, no. Yep. I don't know if you know how good uh, Virginia is, but that happens to be where I went to. <laughs> it's a little place called UV. No. Anyways, so no, not at all. Because at the end of the day, they don't care where you came from. It was one of the things I was taught, fortunately, early on. Nobody cares about what you know until they know how much you care. Yep. And one of the best ways to do that is to learn about who they are, why they're training, why they, you know, what their job is in the first place. And so, yeah, you got to check that ego at the door because you don't matter they matter and they're only going to understand that if then you are willing to put in that time and that effort to do that. So absolutely. You got to leave all your other credentials, everything at the board, because you're that's from one world to the other. And that, that really, you know, it helps from the experience standpoint, but that's not what's going to get you that buy-in that trust and and that expertise, so to speak, that they're going to even trust. Yeah. And you know, by way of our good friend, Stefan Underwood, but I believe the quotes from Dr. Roy Sugarman and it's, the idea of you are not an expert without an invitation, right? And so you need to earn that invitation first. Um, that said, once you have it, like you still have to be competent in your craft, right? And unapologetically own what you know. So yes, part of it is being humble enough to say, I don't understand your world. Show me what it's all about. But at the same token, you can also speak out of the other side of your mouth and say, I know strength and conditioning and I can bring this to you. I have something to offer here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where you can get into whatever tests or physical, you know, characteristics they need to adapt and bring up and you can speak to those. You're not going to be able to speak about, you know, what's gone on in their actual job, but you can talk training and then you need to make sure that you've got the expertise to then back that up. So without getting into our personal lives, because we just don't have that kind of time and there's there's another podcast now for that. That is true. Um, Vulnerability, right? So walking a mile in their boots. Tell me, you know, for you, what are some things that you did to, to literally walk a mile in their boots? I mean, and literally just that, like getting out and walking miles with them. You need to make sure that you get out into their space. The more you can be in their world and meet them on their playing field, the better off that you're going to be. Obviously, I mean, if you're talking fire, that doesn't mean going on calls or whatever it is with them. But That, that would be awesome, though. I'm not going to... 
I would I would be such a liability. Absolutely. But it would be fun. I would like to sit in the bucket and drive that back Ooh. into the truck. Annette, can we sit in the bucket? What are the rules on this? Yes. I don't even know if that's actually what happens. That shows my expertise, though. No clue. There's ladders, though. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, understand the gear. Put the gear on. Get out with them. Get in their field. Go through their training. Even if you're not participating in it, go observe. If all they know is you in the weight room or you in the fitness space or whatever it is, that's all that you're going to assume from them. Excuse me. That's all that they're going to assume from you. Yep. And then on the flip side, that's all you're going to see them as is these are these people in the gym coming through and you can easily get caught up in numbers in their performance in the gym with and lose sight as far as, man, I got out there today. I saw what they were going on in their training. I've got to rethink or I need to address how all these things are going on with their training to adjust stuff in the weight room side of the house. So the more you can actually get hands on in their field, in their world, you talk about that vulnerability, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to end up doing things that are obviously not your expertise, especially if you're coming from the collegiate sector, field sports or whatever that is to the tactical, but also vice versa. If all you've known is the tactical and you're trying to go into the athletics, regardless, get to know that sport. And the more you can play that sport or that competition or those trainings as much as possible, the better off you're going to be, the more you're going to be able to understand. And then you guys can actually start to speak the same language and be on the same page when you're talking about whatever needs to be addressed. And you'll also realize the limited carryover, quite frankly, of the weight room to, you know, the their vocation, because you'll be like, hey, this person who can barely squat whatever and their conditioning's garbage and, and suddenly get on scene and, and into their training, their world. And you're like, wow, they're in charge and they know their stuff and their decision making capabilities is really, you know, what's important or whatever it is. And you start to realize that um, you need to stay a little bit humble and not overvalue what you bring to the table as a coach, quite frankly. Um, so, Hunter, on that same note for, you know, soliciting their input. So I think when we talk about, quote, evidence based, a lot of us think like research and, and thick rim glasses and that kind of deal. But hmm. And, and for coaches, we quickly like pipe up for, well, also our coaching experience, right? Like, yeah, I know this hasn't been shown in the research yet, but I have experience with it, blah, blah, blah. But one thing we often overlook is that the athlete, the end user, the firefighter, right? Like their input is valuable as well. Absolutely. And again, when you're coming in from the outside at times and more times than not, you need to kind of shut up and listen to what they're telling you because they're the subject matter experts when it comes to their craft, when it comes to their job and their career. And even if it's placebo to some extent, they're going to tell you what they need. And if you're willing to be able to get into those situations to open up and have those conversations in the first place to try to understand what they think, at least from their experience, they need from a training perspective, it's going to give you a lot of insight and it's also going to give them a voice in their training, which then helps create buy-in. But you're going to learn more than you ever think you will. If you think that you're going to come in and say, I understand your job. I've seen it. I understand whatever these tasks are. We just need to do more X of this. When in fact, if they're speaking to something that maybe they've gone through, they felt or whatever it is in their own training. I mean, I saw backdraft. It is. And Kurt Russell was amazing in it. <laughs> And because of that, that is all the information you would ever need in which I think it was Stephen Baldwin. But anyways, way. 
but yeah, point being is you need to listen to your athletes because this is their world. They're the subject matter expert. And you need to understand that you're a very small part in their job, their life, their career compared to being you, the one that's coming in, trying to help tell them what to do. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, what will happen next is, is the next piece of advice here, which is building bridges to their domain. You won't have to because they'll start to do it inherently. And when they start to build those bridges and you don't have to force it as a coach, it's just a lot more a lot more powerful. You know, I remember we had a team that came back from a shooting course and they started talking about, wow, all that lateral movement you had us doing, like suddenly we had a better platform to move from and we were more accurate because of it. We moved better than the other teams. And like, that's better than any cell that we could ever throw down on the, on the agility front, you know, on any given day. So yeah, I, I think that you stepping into their, their world um, and them understanding your appreciation for it. And then just those bridges start to kind of naturally build between them. So the next two I'm going to blow through quick, which is sort of entertain the top and invest in the bottom. So in, in other words, yes, the leadership matters, but don't live and die by kissing up to command, right? Because the, the, the folks who are new and younger and the rookies and whoever it is, they're eventually going to become the leadership. And you can also be the connection between the top and the bottom and kind of serve that middle ground. So I think it's extremely important. And, and you've seen this now. So you've been in, in this unit for 10 years. Yep. And so you have seen folks who you probably knew coming in uh, very young who are now in leadership positions. Yeah. I mean, it's we had people that would have been, whether they were guys on the team, whether they would have just been company commanders that have gone then to battalion commanders, then they're coming up on being actual group leaders. Point being, they're just continuing to rise from the ranks. And a lot of the stuff within the, you know, the air quotes of tactical strength and conditioning is still very new. And a lot of things are very culturally driven on where training has been. Again, it goes back to we do this because this is what they did before us and so on and so forth. And that's not to devalue that. But, you know, to take, you know, a Navy term, so to speak, if you're turning this, you know, aircraft carrier around and the cultural shift that it's going to have to take, it needs to start from that bottom up and indoctrinating and teaching as people are coming to the unit or whatever you're at, the importance of this. So as they continue to move up the ranks, like Nate said, they understand that this is a very important part of the job. If you just try to focus on leadership all the time, you're not going to build that culture from the bottom up. And and I'll say my last pitch for the imposters uh, coming into the coaching community within tactical is that they offer a fresh perspective, right? That hasn't been kind of beaten down over the years. Cause I think what will happen is a lot of people have been on the inside or thinking, Oh, that'll never work. This could never happen. Um, But sometimes not just a fresh eyes, but a fresh voice um, can help to bring about some of that change. So to real quick recap, cause I think we're absolutely pushing the limits of what Chris is allowed to, or allowed us to, to speak here today. Uh, to go back through the list, do your reconnaissance, right? Before you ever even arrive on scene, uh, you know, strip off your flair because in- insecurity hides behind shiny shit. And that is not what's going to help you build rapport. Nobody cares about the letters of the alphabet soup as Hunter put it behind your name, no matter how many badges you like to collect in the same breath. Of course, you got to be good at what you do. Be competent in your craft vulnerability, be willing to walk a mile in their boots solicit and incorporate their input. So that's the other part. Don't just ask, but include the feedback they give you. And all of that's going to help to start building bridges to their domain, entertain the top while investing in the bottom. And of course, make sure to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, how in the hell are you ever going to take care of others? 
Hunter, any closing remarks? No, it's I appreciate you having me on. And, and the outside opinions, the imposters that they can bring, it, it's they have to work with each other, you know, from the inside out and outside in. It's the more of a relationship and the more eyes you can get on that from different points of view, the better off that you're going to be able to produce from a product standpoint, both from the coaching and the athlete perspective. So give us a chance as the imposters. <laughs> Absolutely. Chris, speaking of imposters, thank you so much for allowing us to take over the fourth shift podcast. All my friends, please be a fourth shifter. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Hunter. Absolutely fantastic. and uh, Much appreciated you guys speaking out and helping out to get more qualified and interested and applicable and pertinent and valid instruction going on in the fields that we needed the most. Now, if you guys liked hearing those two, you may have caught it quickly, just a little glimpse. They kind of mentioned about, uh, the other option you have to listen to more about their personal lives, they're releasing their own show. And sometime mid to late May, if you're checking on their social media, and I'll link it in the show notes, you're going to see something come across called Pots, Pints, and PRs. And it's going to be heavy on the lifestyle, including absolutely some training and and exercise and stuff like that. Uh, But you're going to get a real good personal view of Hunter and Nate and what they're bringing to the table, who they are, their backgrounds, and everything in between. So check that out for sure. As always, if you have any questions, comments, please don't be hesitant to reach out at Fourth Shift Fitness on all social media and then fourthshiftfit at gmail.com. Hit me up with anything. As always, guys, just like Nate said, thanks. Talk to you soon and be a Fourth Shifter. <laughs>